Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. We are coming to you from our top secret headquarters at Project Quantum Leap, but you can find us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fate's Wide Wheel. And please do us a favor by hitting the subscribe button on iTunes. Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. We're here this week to discuss a perfectly fine episode of Quantum Leap. Quantum Leap. And, <laughs> and as a favor to you, we are doing it with our clothes on. Yes, it's true. We had discussed the possibility of, you know, streaming this live on YouTube. and Nobody wants to see that. Disrobing. But no, no, one, no one needs no, that. Nobody, wa- nobody wants to see that. I have a feeling, Dennis, that now in our days of parenthood and... You know, as we as we fast approach our forties, people don't see that. The, the, the days of us being naked on stage or in front of a camera I, are I, probably behind I us. I don't know. I don't know about that. And I will say this: you <laughs> you saw this because we're because uh, we're on uh, we're friends on Facebook. Um, so I got this basically what was a spam text the other day uh, of a of a woman like you just saw her from like the chin down and she had her shirt pulled up like showing her bra and her uh, and her breasts were pushed together pushed together and uh, basically it was like hey I'm in Arlington Heights which is like a half hour outside of Chicago let's get yeah. together so back at her I pulled up my shirt in a similar way showing off showing off my hairy chest uh, and I actually got a few compliments. From uh, uh, from some some folks, because uh, yeah. remember, dad bod is in. That is true. That is very very true. Well, you know, hey, anything can happen. Yeah. Anything can happen, and uh, it, you know, as we mentioned in last week's episode, we've both done it before. Yeah, we'll get to so, that at the end uh, of the episode. Yeah, um, uh, but, but we're not here to talk about you or me naked. We're, we're here not. to talk. We're here to talk about Scott Bakula naked. I, I mean, we could just talk that. We just the whole episode. We could just talk about we could Scott we could nude, we know? could do that. We could just we could just whittle our podcast and our Facebook page down to just posting pictures of Scott Bakula, and we would get so many more likes. It's true. We probably our fan base would at least double. Um, Absolutely. So, but we are so, talking about the plays the thing. The plays the thing. Um, yep, directed by Eric Lenouveau. Um, who uh, this is actually the only episode of Quantum Leap that he directed. Um, worth noting that he is a person of color, uh, and you know we've actually talked about this recently. We've not really had uh, many directors um, that that have been black or, or a person of color, and uh, we we've had a um, a couple, but uh, I think it's it's worth noting and, and remarkable enough. Um, he. Uh, has done quite a few television programs as both an actor and a director. Um, in fact, he directed a, a run uh, of Lost episodes in the last couple of seasons, um, including one that I thought, uh, I think, was um, um, a lot of people enjoyed, um, the, uh, which, was, which chronicled the uh, 48 days from the other 
half of the plane's uh, perspective, because, you know, as, as we found out, spoiler alert, uh, as the show went on, that the, the plane had broken into two. We, we assumed that only one group of survivors were left, but it turns mm. out that actually there were, there were two groups there. Yes. Um, so, yeah, so, uh, but a lot of, a lot of credits. Uh, Beverly Bridges is our writer. Um, this is the uh, fifth episode uh, that she would do of five. Uh, other episodes would include um, Raped, Permanent Wave, Hunting Will Go, Great Spontini. Um, our air date is January the 8th, 1992. Our leap date is September 9th, 1969. Sam is left into Joe Thurlow, uh, a struggling actor, and we are in New York City. I think it's worth noting, the original air date was January 8th, 1992. Mm-hmm. The most previously aired episode was November 27th, 1991. So we had a month and a half hiatus. Yeah. There were no episodes over Christmas. Which is not, yeah, which is not all that uncommon. Um, even today, you know, a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of TV shows will have their, you know, their fall finale. And yeah. Then, you know, and then start back up, uh, you know, in, in January or February. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it, this was right, we're right in that mid-season. Thing, uh, yeah. Yeah, spot. Which is interesting, too, to pay attention to, uh, I, I guess, what they were airing during sweeps. Um, obviously, January 8th would not be sweeps, but coming up, um, you know, in the yeah. next couple of uh, episodes, we'll, we'll have their sweeps episodes. So. Oh, yeah, the next episode. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, should we uh, uh, dive in with the TV guide description? Uh, give it to us, sir. Uh, Sam falls into a May-December romance as a struggling actor dating a woman twice his age, and he tries to save his career and find her a break. As a singer. Pretty straightforward there. That's a very straightforward, pun-free, <laughs> pun-free. Uh, in other countries, it was known as, these are pretty oh tame. Boy. These are pretty tame, actually. Uh, an odd couple in Germany. Uh, in France, it was known as to be or not to be. And uh, in Italy, it was known as mother and son. Yeah. That's kind of weird. Isn't it, though? Because, uh... uh I mean, the, the sun is a part. To, right. Yeah, yeah. We know it's supposed to be about Neil uh, and uh, and Jane, but uh, it's still I don't know. It, yeah, that, it's that, still that is a little it, weird. It, it, considering the age gap yes. between who Sam is leapt into it and is. Jane, it could certainly be misinterpreted. Yeah, um, a little bit weird. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so Sam uh, leaps in. We talked about it last week's episode. He is in probably the most. Uh, in the, in the cushiest landing that he has ever had. Short, yes. short, short of leaping into Samantha Stormer and What Price Gloria and the bathtub. Right, maybe right. one Maybe one of the, uh, the cushiest leap-ins. Uh, red satin sheets. Yeah. Nice room. And, and yeah, but he is, he is not alone. No, he is not. It's interesting because uh, a couple of things, uh, you know, right off the top of the bat, we get, uh, you know, this nice moment for Sam kind of, you can just see, you know, look on his face and in the voiceover, it's like, oh, how nice is this? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, here I am, uh, all these other leaps, and he brings, you know, he even kind of name checks a couple of leaps, uh, including like, um, um, I think Leap Home Part 2, because he mentions like, you know, the middle of... Vietnam, yeah, like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's, you know, he, he's he's definitely comparing this to some of the harrowing leaps in that he's had, and now uh, here he is in bed. But he gets a surprise twice if you think about it, because first of all, Jane 
is there mm-hmm. as he says thank you mm-hmm. uh, and, and so the moment kind of gets spoiled t- twofold because there's a woman next to him which obviously Sam being Sam is just sort of like oh you know yep. uh, and then and then Neil walks in and then Neil and Liz walk in <laughs> My God, Mom, what would Dad say? And, that, and that's a third thing, because we don't know yet. Yeah. We don't know yet that Jane's husband has passed away. So we kind of get a triple of not alone, older woman, son walks in. Oh, and is, the, is she married? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. Is, is this a, uh, uh, an affair? Uh, you know, what, yeah, what's the situation? Um, and it leaves us hanging until after we get back. Uh, and, of course, then we do find out that, you know, he's, he has been dead um, for a number of years. Um, you know, I, I think just because we're introduced to them pretty much right off the bat, we might as well mention Jane is played by Penny Fuller. Mm-hmm. Um, quite a lengthy career. In fact, you could say that about, about a number of the actors in this episode. Um, a lot of credits to her name. Um, probably recognizable from all the president's men. She played Sally Aiken, who's actually based on uh, the real life uh, Marilyn Berger, who you know kind of had a, a bit of a minor role. Uh, she worked for the Washington Post uh, in Watergate um, and and covering the the uh, Canuck letter, mm-hmm. um, which was a which was a letter that basically had to do with the fact that um, uh, there was a Republican. You know, agent, if you will, that was sending these letters to, you know, kind of uh, rile up uh, a Democratic candidate. Um, and she got Ken Clausen on the record as saying that they had done this. And so it was, you know, it was just kind of another little piece of the puzzle there. Um, she was also uh, in uh, an episode of Banachek, which I don't know, Dennis, if we have ever had the opportunity to discuss Banachek before. We have not had the pleasure. Uh, do you do you know do you know the show? No, not at all. All right. So Banachek was a sort of a mystery show. It was a vehicle for George Papard, who uh, is probably most well known now for um, the A Team and before that Breakfast at Tiffany's. Um, uh, he, he played the male lead in Breakfast at Tiffany's, and then he would go on to play Hannibal in um, um, in the A Team. But between those two gigs, he did this sort of you know TV movie of the week kind of detective show in the same vein as like early Colo- early season sure, Columbo, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he played an insurance uh, like um, claims guy who uh, you know moonlighted as a detective, and it was interesting because the a lot of the uh, mysteries re- you know revolved around the fact that he uh, dealt in like high end like insurance for art. And so he was, he was a collector himself, collected old cars, collected, you know, I'd say... It was, first, you know, just, first world mysteries. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, but it, anyway, it, a fun show, great, you know, and, and he was always great in it. He smoked little cigarillos. Uh, anyway, she was in an episode of that. She also um, did an episode of Six Million Dollar Man and um, had a stint on Melrose Place and mm-hmm. Mad About You. Uh, but for me, the thing that she stood out for most is that she was in, um, right around the same time, actually, as this episode, uh, China Beach, and played uh, the main character's mother ah, okay. in the final season. Um, because uh, big old spoilers for China Beach, but they did this amazing thing in the final season. I think I've actually talked about it before uh, on, on the show, that um, they went back stateside. So that's I, I, I vaguely remember that that yeah, being a big deal at the time. Yeah, 
Um, and, and it was, you know, it was, I think it was, it was one thing for them to show these characters in Vietnam and how it affected them. It was an entirely different situation to, to show them having to come back home and get sure. adjusted to life back home. So, um, anyway, she played, yeah, the main character's mother. Um, and then, of course, we get Daniel Robach as Neil, who I yeah. incorrectly I, I identify. Wanna, uh, yeah, I want to hang back just one second uh, for, for, uh, uh, for, for Penny here. Uh, mm-hmm. She was also in an episode of Nightmare Cafe, which I loved. Yeah. Only lasted only lasted six episodes. Depending on what you read, it was only supposed to last that, that amount of time. Um, and Matt Dale, friend of the show, who we always constantly reading out of the book, he actually sent me like uh, a link to where I could watch all of the episodes online, and I still haven't taken him up on that. Um, yeah, I remember that though. But it, it was very, uh, yeah, it was very. Uh, TV Guide described it as Quantum Leap meets Cheers meets the Twilight Zone, and it was that was such a perfect description. And I'm not even going to just to avoid tangents going on anymore. But yeah, look it up sometime. Nightmare Cafe lasted six episodes at about the same time that, uh, that this episode aired. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, she was very prolific and, 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 and has, uh, had quite a lengthy career, obviously going back to, to like the seventies, um, you know, all through up until the two thousands. Um, so then, we, then we've got Daniel, Daniel Robuck. Robuck. That's right. Uh, whom I incorrectly identified. He, he was on Matlock. But I, uh, for whatever reason in my brain, I mishmashed a couple of things and mentioned that he had played the younger Ben Matlock uh, in a few episodes. That was completely incorrect. You know um, what? I, I would guess he may, he may have read for that part. I, I mean, it's entirely He may, he may have auditioned. Right. You don't know. That's true. You never know. Um, the, the, the actual actor uh, that, that did play that, uh, that his name is escaping me. I think it's uh, Tim... Tim... Uh, well, I'll figure it out here in just a second, sure. uh, so I can so I can correct myself. But uh, obviously, Dana Robux done quite a bit of things. Um, um, Dennis, why don't you why don't you take it away here for, for Mr. Robux? Dumb in here for sure. Uh, I remember him mostly as Arts on Lost. Yep. And he was also one of the U.S. Marshals in 1993's The Fugitive, and uh, and, and the sequel U.S. Marshals. Yeah. Uh, which, which which was better than I think the most people remember. Uh, not not a perfect movie, not as good as The Fugitive, but it was still a pretty good movie. Um, and then uh, I, I mean a lot a lot of other stuff. Like you you know this guy, you have seen him in something. Yeah, I mean even recently, like he was in a couple episodes, I think of Agents of Shield. Um, you know, so he's 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 always out there. Um, a couple of other things that I took note of uh, that he had done in addition, of course, to, to Lost, Matlock, Fugitive, U.S. Marshals. He also gets a Star Trek The Next Generation shout-out, as he was in the Unification two-parter, which, uh, which of course, had Spock. Uh, the, the, the ah, yes, Spock. yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's, uh, but he's, he's been around uh, for ages, still working to this day, and, again, still working quite, you know, I, I mean, quite a bit. He's got, like, seven or eight things, I want to say, that are kind of, like, in the can, um, if you will. So, um yeah, I, I mean, definitely someone like you said that you have seen, uh, no, no doubt. Yeah, probably uh, one that stuck out for me. I totally forgot she was in this episode. Was Anna Gunn who plays yeah. Liz? She was uh, on Breaking. She was Skyler on Breaking Bad. That's right, Emmy winner uh, for Best Supporting Actress in a Drama and uh, multi-time nominee for that role. 
Um, she also played Seth Bullock's wife on Deadwood, and will be reprising that role in the Deadwood movie. Fantastic. Um, she did uh, a show that I don't know if it's still on the air or not, um, just recently I think was the lead in Grace Point. Um, also, uh, uh, two of my favorite you know, legal shows that couldn't be more different in a lot of ways in spite of having the same creative team and a similar cast for the last season uh, is The Practice and Boston sure. Legal. Um, and then uh, I thought this was really cool. Quantum Leap is her first listed credit on uh, IMDb, which would make sense because she was only 24 at the time this episode. Oh, aired. that's really cool. That's great. Yes. What I love, uh, to go on a minor tangent with Breaking Bad, what I found about interesting about her character on there, I don't know if you were aware of this, were the death threats that she got. Yeah. Because people hated her character so much. And it was such a nice little microcosmic study in sexism and misogyny. Um, because she was always, if you've ever seen the show, uh, basically she always was antagonistic to whatever Walter's point of view was. Uh, and Walter was the anti-hero of the show. And so, yeah, a lot of men hated her. And the actor, in real life, got death threats. Yeah. That's kind of, yeah. I, you know, and I, 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 being a fan of, of the show, um, it's difficult because um, you are supposed to, I think, early on be very invested in Walter. And when she does become such an antagonist for him it's easy to dislike some of the things that she does but I think that if you're really paying attention she's one of the more sympathetic characters on the show she is and what I hate about because I, I started to realize that I didn't like her because she was always butting heads and she was contradicting herself like sometimes her point of view would flip yeah. Like in the course of three episodes, and I was starting to d- dislike her character, but then I realized that the writers were doing her a disservice. Yeah. That the, uh, you know, we talk about uh, a lot on the show that sometimes Al is written inconsistently to be a counterpoint to Sam. And they were doing that with her character. It was like she would always flip her point of view just to be antagonistic to Walter. Right. And so that was a thing on the writers and not the character itself. Herself, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I, I would completely agree with that. I I, I would uh, say that she was unfortunately written, you know, a bit inconsistent. Um, I, I you know, which I think is a testament to to the actor and the show overall that they I think did overcome that, especially by the the end. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the the show in general just takes you on such a fascinating journey, and I think again that if you were to watch the show uh, with more of an eye and an ear for her character, you would see um, uh, you know just a lot of really great arcs uh, for the character done well, and, and I think that she was unfairly uh, treated, as is evidenced by some of the other work that she's done, because she's clearly not a bad actor. Um, so I, yeah, I, it was very very interesting. Um, I, I think to this day, if you look back on all of that, like you said, there's there's um, a lot that can be said about misogyny and, and uh, perception uh, of work and, and blurring the line between actor and character. Um, you know, because it's like it, it's it's the same stuff with some of the Star Wars stuff that happened with like uh, you know the actress that played Rose and, mm-hmm. and and how she was basically you know 
forced off Instagram by the constant bullying and trolling, and uh, and, and it's just it, it makes no sense to me. And obviously, you and I kind of having the background that we do, you know, even for the people doing it, there is some difficulty every once in a while when you're in a project and making that separation. It's just natural with the work that you do. That said, it's like give me a break. Yeah. Like you know, you don't. There. It's 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 not the same thing, and especially in such a collaborative, you know, uh, profession. How can you possibly put all of the blame on one person? Sure. Uh, uh, for that, and 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 I mean, ultimately, shouldn't you just have better fucking things to do with your time? Right. Anyway. <laughs> Says the host. Says the host of the Quantum Leap Podcast. Face wide wheel, a Quantum Leap Podcast. Let's move on. Uh, Robert Pine. Here's what I will always remember Robert Pine from. Chips, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which uh, when I was a kid, I thought it was a very serious show. I didn't realize how campy that show was, intentionally or unintentionally. But right. uh, my mom loved watching Chips. It was like it was like a a, per, a, a permanent daytime rerun. Well, the, you know the interesting thing about uh, about Robert Pine, in addition to Chips, is that he has played. Uh, Arguably, a couple of char- beloved characters' fathers. Uh, he played uh, Magnum, Thomas Magnum's father. Magnum oh, Magnum. I didn't know that. Okay. Um, and so, obviously, he'd worked with Don Belisario before. Yeah. Uh, the interesting thing is, is he played him in flashbacks. Because um, if I'm not mistaken, he was he was dead by the time that the, the oh Magnum, sure Magnum Pi actually came along. So he Which is why Magnum was always so dark and yeah. And, right. <laughs> no. uh, it, but yeah, he played him in flashbacks in like three three different episodes. He also played uh, Jim Halpert's dad on The Office. Um, uh, I could totally see that. Yeah, and in real life, he plays uh, well, doesn't play. He is the father of Chris Pine. So uh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. How about that? I, that, I, was, I had no idea. Um, in addition to, of course, that being a Star Trek connection, he was also in an episode of Star Trek Voyager and reunited with Scott Bakula in an episode of Star Trek Enterprise. All right. Yeah, but man, yeah. I mean, he's and he's another guy that honestly, like Daniel Roebuck, uh, Penny Fuller, obviously have a long, long list of credits. Man, if you go on and you look at Robert Pine's credit list, it, I mean, it goes back to like 1967 and goes all the way up to like 2000. Yeah, I mean, he's been around 40-plus years uh, working consistently. And, and, and just I, 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 it, the thing that fascinated me is, as I was kind of scrolling through his IMDb is that he would have, like, 10 or 15 projects in one year. You know, and granted, a lot of that would be TV, but still, it's like, that's, I mean, that's, he's working, you know. Um, so, yeah, uh, uh, those would be, and obviously Ted has not been introduced in this episode yet, but those are kind of our big guest stars. We'll yeah, yeah. Uh, and, the, and the director, Craig Richard Nelson, um, he looks, I don't know if it was intentional, but uh, if you're familiar with Spalding Gray, who was a performance artist uh-huh. yeah. and, and monologist, um, kind of looks a little bit like him, and I, and I always wondered if that was an intentional thing. Uh, because I, I don't know very much about Spalding Gray, but I do know that he was quite eccentric. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I, yeah, I know that as well. Um, there's been a couple of um, uh, well, there's a play uh, written about him slash by him or something, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, something he, like yeah. And he did. A few, I know he did a few one man shows. Excuse me. There's been a couple of films, including a movie called Grey's Anatomy, um, completely different from the one that's been on the air for like 15 years. 
but anyway, um, yeah, uh, I could definitely see that. Uh, he was in the film The Paper Chase, which if you've never seen, it's a great, great film, actually, worth checking out. Um, and then uh, also did an episode of Star Trek Voyager. Um, and another Star Trek uh, connection is Petra was played by uh, Ava Loseth, and she was in an episode of Deep Space Nine, as well as doing some Doogie Howser, Saved by the Bell, etc., our mirror image is Will Schaub, and mm-hmm. uh, he was in an episode. He has quite the extensive career, yeah. Yeah, compared to a lot of other people. Much more than the typical mirror image, yeah. Uh, yeah, he had a stint on The Young and the Restless, most recently it looks like. Uh, it was also in a, a couple episodes of JAG. So oh, there with, we go. Uh, uh, you know, Don Belisario's team. There we go. Right. Everybody who is listed on IMDb, everyone is still alive but one. The King. Wait, who... D- uh, Dean Bistro, the king inside the play, he passed away in 2005. We were so close. I was just like, as you were talking, I was like flipping through all the things. Like, oh, they're all going to be alive. No, they're not all alive. Anyway, let's get in. Let's get into the episode. Um, I, I, I don't know where to jump in. I don't know if this is an episode where we need to go like a, a play by play or blow by blow. To me, it's more like. It, to me, what I really enjoyed about this episode, it's all more about the themes and individual moments. Yeah. Uh, and it's just the fact that overall, um, and probably a lot of our listeners would be of the same mind, is that when I was younger and a kid, this episode had not much for me. Sure. Because, I mean, you know, it's about, you know, an, an, an older woman who's like trying to come to grips with herself. Like, does, does she basically give up and go home does she keep moving forward or whatever and dating a younger uh dating a younger quote younger guy who was like much right. older than me at the time. so it didn't have much for me uh coming to this as an almost 40 year old man uh this this episode this time around had a lot more for me and i, I enjoyed it a lot more than what i thought i was going to yeah, you know, so I would agree with that. Honestly, the only thing that stuck out to me about the episode going into it is like, oh, right, this is the one where there's the, you know, the naked Hamlet. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, upon rewatching it, it, it plays, and I don't, I, I don't mean this in a negative light, and I don't mean this to say that this is what it is, because there's definitely more to it than that, and it's not strictly this at all. But to me, it plays a bit like a romantic comedy. Um, it gets, you know, I think it gets a little bit more serious, uh, uh, than your run-of-the-mill rom-com, but it feels a little bit more along those lines, especially the early parts of the episode. Uh, um, I don't know if I agree with that, because, like, the, because part of the rom-com is always the meet-cute, and the couple getting together, and they're already together. I mean, I, I could see it in that when uh, the Petra is at her name. Yeah. When when Petra makes her move on Joe and Jane walks in on it, you know, like there is that that stereotypical thing that you see in rom-coms. There's the thing that temporarily drives a wedge between the two characters. I get before yeah, they I mean, reunite. Yeah. And even the even even the stuff with Neil um, and, and, and and I think, you know, Liz, her character in general, like it's just there, there are aspects of the episode, uh, you know, barring the, the meet cue, um, which, you know, is, is definitely, I think, is usually a part of a lot of rom-coms, but I don't think it's, I don't think rom-coms always have to have that to be considered that. But anyway, point is, is it just felt that way with the, the you know, the more comedic tone of some of the performances. Um, you know, I felt like Daniel Roebuck was definitely, you know, in a very comedic world for most of the Oh, episode. sure, yeah. 
Um, you know, I think that, that you know, Liz, uh, she fits in there uh, as mm-hmm. well, especially with like, a certain sense of naivete, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Ted... Uh, you know, kind of playing the heavy, you know, it, it just, it, it kind of worked on that level for me. And again, I, you know, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I'm not even saying it's a good thing. It's just a kind of uh, thing that I, that I, that the I thing, yeah. Um, uh, I just yeah. Yeah, so, so things about, I don't know why, but I, I remember this episode. I, I remembered Sam for some reason being kind of skeeved out by the thought of being with an older woman. I don't know why I remembered that. So I was pleasantly surprised when he was like immediately into it. Yes. And like, Um, and and I was surprised by the fact that Al was so against their relationship because of the age difference. Um, I don't know. I felt like you could have written Al a totally different way in this episode of him being like all for it. Uh, It's another case of like him him being written in a way to be opposed to Sam. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised when I found out that I'd misremembered and like Sam was all about it. And he actually like made a speech that, you know, older men marry younger women all the time. It's a crummy double standard that you can't, yeah. that it can't go the other way. So I've, that's one of the first things that I really enjoyed about this episode. I completely agree. And one of the things that I came back to a number of times over the course of the episode is, is how wonderfully this episode reinforces that Sam is kind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even I think, without being put in the situations that he's put in and you know the character in general is driven and 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 again as we've read and heard about scott bakula himself you know it's 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 no small wonder that that sam comes off as a kind warm human being Mm -hmm. um and and i really enjoyed that as well uh the crummy double standard thing was something that i took note of you know and even kind of going beyond that is that um his support of, of jane um, and her dream and, and kind of, you know, um, he, it's, you know, it's, it's one of the things that I like about this is he, he pushes, but he doesn't push too hard. Mm-hmm. There are certain, there's certainly episodes we've seen before where he really pushes people into doing things that they might not necessarily want to do. Um, but this reminded me almost a little bit more of in Disco Inferno, um, you know, when he's supporting his little uh, brother with, yeah. with the guitar, you know, mm-hmm. that, that sort of thing. Like it's a, he's, he's being supportive and he's giving that, that good push but he's not, I never got the feeling that it was like, Sam, dude, you know, chill out. Like, she's got to come to it on her own. You know, mm-hmm. it, felt, it felt very uh, supportive, which was nice. Um, the one question that I think is worth raising, uh, just because it's obviously something we've talked a lot about before, he does go all in with the the romantic relationship with Jane. You know, he's kissing her, he's... You know, there, there's a level of intimacy. I'm not saying that they've had sex over the course of this episode or anything like that, but there's certainly a level of intimacy on display here. Uh, so I'm just going to ask, how, how, how do you feel about that? You know, uh, that did cross my mind, but I guess that we have gilded that lily so much and talked about that, <laughs> talked about that plot point so much that I was just like, yeah, all right, we've talked about it. And, it, and it, this is one of those cases where and this is great that you brought it up because I, I didn't really think about it beyond what I just said. If Sam did the opposite thing, it would have totally killed the relationship. Because yeah. from, from Jane's point of view, it would have looked like, oh, my son and his wife are here. That has changed our dynamic. You don't see me as a romantic interest. You don't see me as a woman anymore. 
you see me as a mom, and now you've suddenly lost interest. Yeah, I I, I totally agree with you, and I it, it, it it's funny because the the question was sort of was raised in my head watching the episode, uh, like you know the third or fourth time he laid one on her, um, <laughs> and, and as and, and as I thought about it, I couldn't help but think it's it's a perfect opportunity to kind of delve into the fact that Sam is playing parts and you know again as we know when you're on stage when you're playing a part and you know there have been times when I've worked with people and it's and I think the conversation has changed a lot these days and 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 you probably I I I'm confused about it in my own head to be honest with you but I think that if you have a level of trust and comfortability with someone when you're on stage with them, um, there are times for sort of spontaneous moments of intimacy that aren't necessarily planned, talked about, choreographed, etc. Um, and, you know, there, there have been times when, you know, I've kissed someone on stage completely unprompted um, because it was it was just felt natural in the moment. Um, and And I think that in this case, you know, Sam kind of playing that role, um, and, and really kind of being invested in the relationship and, 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 and helping Jane, you know, even being at odds again with Alan Ziggy to the point of his mission, you know, saying that he's there for her, not there for, um, for Joe's Joe. career. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great, which is great as well. So I think that that's kind of in my head, you know, how, where I went with it. Yeah. Um, Rem- remind you, me, what, you know, I, I want to save this for the end of the episode because I want to like save the, the, the really far off tangents for the end of the episode. But remind me to come back to talk about spontaneously kissing people on stage in the middle of performance. Because sure. I do want to I want to unpack that from a theatrical actor standpoint. But anyway, yeah. yes. Um, so, yeah, 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 like you said, like it, it did cross my mind, but not dive too deeply. But I'm really glad you brought it up because, yeah, this is one of those cases where if Sam had not played the part, it would have looked really, really yeah. bad. Well, and it's clear because Jane was already having so many doubts anyway. Um, you know, even even when it came to Joe, you know, the, the 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 seeds had been planted. I think even before her son got there, but then her son obviously was doing it as well. Because we learn early on in the episode that she lied to Joe about her age. She's been telling Joe that she's forty. Um, oh, I, yeah, I forgot that part. Fifty. Yeah, yeah. Which is also, I think it's worth noting too here that Jane obviously had Neil when she was very young. She, she was only like twenty. Um, yeah. Twenty years old. Perfectly normal. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it, 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 there's all sorts of wonderful little little nuanced things, I think, in the script in particular. Uh, so kudos to Beverly Bridges about who these characters are and where they're coming from um, that, that give you kind of a, a, a really nice... Again, this episode does not play to the sort of like the high melodrama that uh, Thou Shalt Not might, you know, when it comes to family dynamics, etc. But I still think that there are some really nice moments. No, yeah, it's played much... There, there is a, it's played much more for comedy. For yeah. it, which I think was was uh, was was a nicer touch on it. Let's very briefly talk about. I didn't even think about this until we started recording. Let's touch on the fact, and this is a old trope that almost any show that takes place in New York is guilty of this. Jane's apartment is really really nice. I don't know if they ever establish what Jane does by day, but her apartment is really really nice for New York. Yeah. Like she has a piano. That she can lay on. I I got the sense that there is a possibility because you know she's out there, you know, chasing her dream, if you will. Uh, but I got the sense that when her husband 
died that she probably uh, came maybe left a, a sizable. Yeah. Okay. But that said, I'm with you, man. That 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 apartment seems pretty damn nice, uh, regardless. For that, yeah. Uh, so so um, so talk about there like like some other uh, nice moments. So we we get introduced. It's a it's a fun moment when Sam realizes that he's an actor and he's got to go put on a show. Um, which part of me is like, dude, you you did Don Quixote. You're right, right. you're fine. You're gonna be fine. Yeah, it's gonna be okay. Um, and just, uh, but it, it is a fun moment to to see Sam struggle on stage and like him and the little interplay, uh, the little interplay with the director. Uh, yeah. As as far as like the the director coaching him on how to get through to be or not this, to be, yeah, it's it's almost like all, for some reason all I could think of as he was saying all this thing, which is great, you know, talking about the, those sort of sensory things that sure. I think that you know are, are, are always important uh, as an actor. You know, what time of day is it? What temperature is it? What does it smell like? You know, etc. All those sorts of things. <laughs> that said, all I could think of as he was talking about smelling things was Friends when Joey does the smell the fart acting. <laughs> Okay, not familiar with friends, but okay. Oh man, there's this, this, there's this, there's this beautiful, beautiful moment uh, where where Joey basically passes on this bit of of acting wisdom that he learned. Uh, where if he goes up on a line or he forgets a line, just act like you've smelled a bad fart. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, that anyway. works. So uh, yeah. I'll, I'll try to say most of my theater tangents to the end, but this works because, like, the director is walking Sam through, like, what Hamlet's motivation is. Uh, so when I was in college, we did Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead, mm-hmm. which is a weird uh, uh, kind of, I don't know what you call it, like, tangent spinoff sideways thing off of Hamlet. Uh, yeah. It focuses on two minor characters from Hamlet. So anyway, when we were, uh, when we were doing the show in college, uh, the actor playing Rosencrantz, Brantz Cornelius. What a fun name! Uh, he right. he is still a working actor to to this day. He does a lot of regional stuff for friends on Facebook. I, I get to see a lot of his Facebook posts. Uh, but the director was having him cross stage at this one point on this one particular line, and he was just really struggling with it, really hard. It's like in the middle of rehearsal, uh, and the director's name was Doctor M, short for Doctor Melanoskis. He was like Doctor M, like I don't like like I don't get it, like. Why I, I don't understand like why I'm crossing this line. Like I don't mean to be a stereotypical actor, but what is my motivation? Mm-hmm. And Dr. Rim, who looked like every stereotype of a college professor that you can think of, you know, horseshoe gray hair, the distinguished gray beard, and the glasses. Mm-hmm. He takes off his glasses and he goes, In the real world, Mr. Cornelius, your motivation will be a paycheck. Please make the cross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Well, there, there you have it. Um, um, so we we get to this end. Uh, so the end of the scene, and Al shows up, and it's one of uh, this was a great moment where it somehow rode the line between drama and comedy. When when Sam guesses that Jane is going to die, like he says, she doesn't die, does she? And like Al's like, oh, no, yeah. it's much worse. And two days she goes home alone to Cleveland. I love that yeah. moment because it's so, yeah. yeah it somehow rides that line between drama and comedy, which I don't think the series had, had has nailed in recent episodes as well. I would completely agree with that. Completely agree with that. But you're right. It is a it's a it's a nice it is a nice moment, and it's a great playful moment for for Al and Sam, um, which I feel like we haven't gotten a ton of lately. So yeah, I, I, I dug it. Um, 
Yeah, the, the, it, it's interesting too. Just you know, because it's been. I mean, we're probably what like close to ten minutes into the episode before we get Al's appearance, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, and Al does honestly come off as a bit of a minor character in this episode. He's not around a whole lot. No, yeah. Um, he doesn't have a whole lot to do other than, you know, make a couple of... Well, he needed to break after Unchained because he was putting in some extra work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he could smell that skunk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so, anyway, um, after the, the rehearsal scene and kind of, you know, Al telling him that he's there to save Joe's career. Uh, and not, you know, yeah. Sam completely disagrees with that, which is really nice. Uh, and they're going to go to dinner. Jane and, and Sam are going to go to dinner with Liz and Neil. Uh, and uh, they bring Ted. Oh, that is, I, I love that scene and how skeevy it is. And one in Ted's appearance... And then when Sam and Jane go off to dance, which, by the way, I love, you know, you, you talk all the time about episodes that happen to Sam and Sam happening to the episodes in the scene where he gets in the back and forth with Ted about the Vietnam War. Yeah, totally a scene where, where Sam is happening to this episode. For sure. And, and I, you know, I wrote about that. I love that Sam obviously has his passionate point of view, uh, you know, based on what we've seen before and, and, and what his background is. But he shows a little bit of restraint and, and, and grace compared to, like, Animal Frat, for instance. Sure. He, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, slams that guy up against the, the, the library books. Yeah. Uh, and and it it's an interesting scene, too, because I feel as though there is a part of this, and I could be wrong, but there is a part of this that is backed up and informed by the things that he has seen and done while leaping. And it makes me think, and the voiceover at the top of the episode when he's talking about what he's leapt into before, it makes me revisit that theory that Sam's memories don't fade between leaps. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he does remember a lot of what he's done, where he's come from, which starts to ask a lot of questions about about Donna. Um, mm. You know, and, yeah. if, and, and, and if he knows, and if he's willfully... You know, being ignorant because he knows he's he's got he these things to do. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. Um, but uh, and knowing so, what I was to say, knowing what we know too by the by the finale, it makes you wonder if if by willing himself to not remember, that's enough for him to actually not remember to not. Yeah, um, you know, if he's in control of all this. But that, anyway, that's a good point. Um, um, yeah, but they, but I like the, I like the conversation that they have uh, here, and, 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 it, and it further gives us a reason to hate Ted. Yeah, uh. I, I yeah I love like yeah when when Sam and, and, and Jane go off to dance, and then like when it's just uh, 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 Daniel Roebuck and, and 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 Liz and Ted at the table. And Neil, Neil isn't at the table. And it's just like, they just flat out say what the plan is. Like, yeah. they're just waiting for Joe to get rid of Jane, dump her. And then here's Ted going to swoop in and take her back to Cleveland. Which let's, let's, let's focus on something for a second. They got Ted to come from Cleveland to like, to what? 
like like like, it, like sweep it, her it, back. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's like it's like an arranged marriage, but the marriage isn't yeah. being arranged by the parents; it's arranged by the kids. Yeah, that's <laughs> ah, that's so yeah. Um, but then this is uh, this this next moment coming up in the scene is one that I it's, it's, it's like a low key comic moment of the scene is when Ted goes to break in with Jane. Sam gracefully walks away, and Ted and Jane have this conversation while doing their best to do this weird dancing that they just do not understand. Yeah. And they're clearly, they're both being silly. They're both faking their way through it, having this conversation about this serious thing. Uh, It's, yeah, just a really great moment between two characters that aren't Sam and Al or or, or some variation of Sam interacting with someone else. I'm really glad you brought that up because it kind of goes off of what we were talking about last week with Unchained. This episode gives us a few scenes, and obviously this is just a very short, brief thing where Sam's technically is still kind of in the area, but uh, we do get scenes that don't involve Sam. Yeah. You know, there are scenes between Neil and Liz, there are scenes between Neil, Liz, and Jane, there's stuff between Ted and Jane, you know, there's stuff that doesn't involve Sam, mm-hmm. and that's not something that we do often get a whole lot of because... Uh, you know, the show's it's Sam's show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and then, so is is it Sam? Does he like take the initiative? Does he push Jane into like singing? Because uh, yeah, he checks with the band. They know the song, um, and then Jane gets up and she chokes. Yeah, and it, and the, and the thing is, the thing kind of almost compounds the the stakes here is the fact that you know Sam is is trying to prove a point to Neil by doing this, you know, just, and kind of telling Neil like, you know, look, your your mom's really good at this, and you need to see that for yourself. Uh, and then, unfortunately, like you said, she does. She gets up there and she she can't do it. Um, we also get the moment right before this happens with Petra, where. <laughs> Where she she comes up to to Sam and sees Sam at the at the the bar slash restaurant whatever and she's like oh narrow jackets they're so hot or something along those lines sure so yeah Sam's pulling it off don't get me wrong like he, he looks good at it at all but it's just so funny and and it's one of those little you know markers of like right we're in 1969 yeah honestly other than you know other than a couple of little things here or there this episode could take place any time oh god yeah the, the I mean the costumes in this one scene that we we're just talking about. Sam's costume specifically. It was just great. It was awesome. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. And, J- and Jane's dress from earlier. Oh, yeah. Um, was, was fantastic as well. Yeah. 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 Jean-Pierre. Oh, yes. Paycheck, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, so yeah, we get into a, to a further scene, like talking about the choking, and she's not, she's not sure of herself. Um, and then we get into this later scene where... Uh, 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 not Neil, but Ted is kind of harassing Sam, Joe, about his acting, and, and Sam, being somewhat bold, invites him to come see the show. Yeah. And... Yeah, well, because Ted, Ted even says, when are you going to get a real job? Yeah. And, uh, and like, I'm yeah. an actor. Man, the derision that comes from Ted and Neil. And, like, as someone who has luckily, I don't think, ever had anyone ask that question directly it you still feel it you can still feel i feel it, it. I've, I've had people like talk around that question but yeah, yes yeah exactly yeah. yeah uh and then uh we should just yeah get to it like yeah um i, I was i was confused because like it, it seems like they haven't had opening night but then they get to this performance and it seems like they've been performing for a while because the director makes a comment about this is going to be closing night and i get the feeling they've been th- this is not opening night 
Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's a weird kind of conflation of blah blah blah. Anyway, well, if, if, also, you're, if you're not in the theater world, it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 But the other thing too that's kind of uh, that just you know makes you it, again it, it actually rides the line nicely. I feel like between comedy and drama here is that you can tell that Neil and Ted both for different reasons and in different ways are really like excited about the fact that this is going to be a failure. Like yes. They are both. Oh God. Like, yeah. And the way that Ted even remarks about the theater and the look of the theater itself and like oh, yeah. the aware place they play, like it, it, it's it it, it kind of makes you laugh, but at the same time, it does make you want it does make you wish that Sam would punch this guy in the mouth. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Uh, so yeah, we are not Broadway. We are way off Broadway where yeah, they're doing the show in New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the director comes in and he makes this whole emboldened speech about how this is going to be their closing night because there's a lot of competition. Blah blah blah. Um, which is weird because, like, the house is packed. Yeah, it is. The it house is, is packed. I mean, it, it, it's what they say, like, most people understand. Like, to me, it would have made more sense, like, if there were, like, ten people in the audience. Right, right, or right. F- or five people there. I've been, this is what I still love in Louisville. I've been to a performance of a show that was in a church basement. And only five of us showed up. And the show was so god-awful horrible. We wanted to leave at intermission, but we couldn't because we were the only five people there and we were one group. And if we left, there would literally be no one in the audience for intermission. And we felt too bad to do that. Yeah. So anyway, um, anyway but yeah, the director makes a statement. Uh, we must be bold. We must be innovative. We must be nude. Yeah. Oh God! And uh, and everybody's on board except for Sam. Oh yeah, and they, and they strip the Sam down. The rest of the cast is like, like yeah. stoked. They are. I mean, they're they're basically pleasuring themselves as they take their clothes off. <laughs> oh, and man. Sam, of course, being Sam, is hesitant. And this is where uh, we'll, we'll save a, a lot of this for like the end of the episode. We start talking about more in the theater. Like this, so would not fly anymore. Just the cast making the decision for everybody to be naked on stage and stripping someone down. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit. But uh, And the 60s yeah, whatever. It was funny. Betsy hasn't seen this episode, but when I described this moment to, to Betsy, she was like, oh, God, that is so 80s. And I'm like, yeah, but the and I was like, yeah, but the episode takes place in in 1969. She's like, yeah, but the show, this show was basically shot in the 80s. I'm like, oh, God, that is such an 80s thing. <laughs> Oh yeah, well, you know it's funny too because uh, this isn't this is not the first time uh, that that Al has. Um, I was just reflecting on that. Yeah, has seen Sam naked. <laughs> yeah, and it's um, and yeah, he gets an eyeful. Yeah, he yeah. There's one moment like he's watching Sam from behind, and the thing is, it's like one, it makes sense because Al should not be squeamish. Like Al has seen war, he should not right. be squeamish about seeing his best friend naked. On the flip side, you also see moments where you could very easily see Sam or see Al being squeamish about that. But yeah, we get this wonderful moment of of Sam as Hamlet dying at the end, naked. Right, which is hilarious to me because we go from you know Al telling Sam that he's missing his cue, he's missing his cue, he's got to go out there. Sam goes out there, and then immediately we are we are Horatio. I am you know I am. We just jumped just like, I mean, all right. Did did do we did, are. I mean, we could have done a catching falling star esque montage 
of just all these different moments. Um, I just was surprised that we didn't actually get the, the, the title of the episode spoken. You know, like, I, I, I just was really uh, kind of like, at yeah. some point, you know, you, the, the place, the thing where I catch the conscience of the king, like, that's got to that's gotta come up. And, and it's worth noting here that, that you know, Hamlet itself is, I mean, so much of that um, play has been used for episode titles, song titles, movies, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's been quoted to death, uh, all sorts of things, and, and, and you know, the play's the thing. Um, the the I think the interesting parallel here as far as the episode title to the context in the play is that Hamlet is going to use the play in order to basically entrap his stepfather um, and, and, and prove that he is the, the one that murdered um, well not only his stepfather but his uncle as well but murdered his father um, in, in front of his mother as well uh, to kind of you know, drive this whole this whole thing home, and the the play itself has you know been sort of Hamlet's journey from uh, madness um, and doubt to to confidence and sanity, if you will, by the end of the play. Uh, some would argue, anyway, and and so it, the nice parallel here, of course, is that Sam is you know using the the play as as a way to you know kind of prove to these people that. The arts are a are a sustainable, viable way of life. Yes, if you will. Yeah. Well, um, it does and, prove and the reaction. Uh, go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, and it does prove uh, sustainable and viable for Joe uh, because him performing in the show uh, gets the attention of a talent scout in the audience who is not interested in Joe's acting but in Joe's body. Uh, and what's the, what's the name of the underwear? Um, oh God. I can't remember now. I can't remember. The, yeah, let me take a look. Let me see if I can find I cannot remember the name of the underwear to, to save my life right now. Um, uh, but it's uh, while you're while you're checking that out, um, I will uh, just say that it was very funny to to get the different reactions um, from Neil and Liz and Ted, and especially because uh, it's clear that Liz enjoyed what she saw. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, and, and 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 Neil is clearly a little uh, a little bothered by that. Um, you know, Ted, of course, could care less, thinks that this is all a big joke. Um, but but in the dressing room, you know, Sam gets that offer um, for the underwear, which... Yeah, I can't, I can't find the name of it now, but yeah, but yeah. The underwear that is, yeah, famous, yeah. Um, and, um, and and he says, you know, he turns it down at first, and and then, you know, basically says, look, I'll do this, but do you, do you have a jingle? Do you need somebody to sing it? Because I know somebody could sing this. Yeah. And um, and it's and it's great because uh, you know he kind of bargains for um, for Jane yeah um, to, to, to be the singer uh, the of course the the hitch that gets thrown at all of this is Petra comes in uh, Sam accidentally drops his towel Petra takes that to be some sort of advance sign yeah she's more than welcome to herself she drops her towel embraces. Uh, Joe slash Sam, and of course, at that very moment is when Jane and Neil and Liz and Ted and everybody walk in, and, and, and they see uh, what's happening and think that this is um, a thing. Yeah, yeah, that, that this is a thing. That of course, you know, Joe was always going to do this to to poor Jane, and Jane, of course, is very upset. And they run off, and you know, now Sam has to explain what happened. Do the thing. Yeah, um, nice little scene I between. Want to mention real quick. Go ahead. That I, it was uh, there's a poster in the background of the dressing room uh, for Happy Birthday Wanda June, yeah, which is uh, uh, I think the only play uh, I could be mistaken about that, but it's a play by Kurt Vonnegut, and um, 
I actually did uh, a reading uh, oh, wow. at the Vonnegut Museum in Indianapolis. Got it. Um, yeah, Matt notes in his book that that play did not debut until 1971. There are lots of anachronisms. In oh, this yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it happens. Uh, it does. Yeah. It happens. Um, I love the scene between Sam and Al on the streets of New York. Like, Sam trying to catch a taxi, not being able to get one, like, running across. Um, that was a nice scene. That was a nice, it was a nice playful moment between the two characters. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, uh, yeah, we get to where, where, where Sam tells Jay what was really going on and convinces her that, yeah, nothing was happening with Petra. Uh, I got you shot to go to, go to Jingle. Let's, you know, let's do that. And he, and he finally talks her into it over everybody else's objections. And then we get to... Yeah, but Ted punches him in the face. Oh, that's right. How do I forget that? And Sam doesn't retaliate what at all because I Sam mean, is kind. Sam, I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, Neil got off one good punch because he took Sam by surprise. Yeah, oh yeah. I'm kind of surprised by that. Totally forgot that moment. But, like, it just it wouldn't have been a fair fight. No, and it's funny too because Al is like Al is like you know he can he kick your head off you nozzle and yeah you know uh, but yeah uh, Sam of course does not and then we get to uh, like you're saying and it looks like we're back at the bar which is the club, you know, yeah. funny funny place for the audition to take place but uh, hey uh, we're it's a, yeah. a, an economy of storytelling we've already got the set built what are we going right? to go what are we going to go to the studio a week from now. <laughs> this talent scout has That's money to make. Point. He's got things to do. Uh, let's go to the club. Let's sing. Uh, and she 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 does that thing that's kind of a trope where she starts off very slow and timid, and mm-hmm. it looks like she's going to choke again, but then she ends up knocking it out of the park. And then we get one of those great moments that Quantum Leap always does. Uh, uh, Al reports how happily they end up. Not only do they end up staying together, they get married a week from now. Yeah, and you know, the thing that I really loved about this, Dennis, is that in the wrap-up... <coughs> Excuse me. It, you know, a lot of times there's a is, there's a focus on some sort of success. You know, oh, she goes on to help coach with the Special Olympics, or, or you know, whatever the case may be. And in this case, you know, Al is very honest. He's like, well, she never really... She does a couple of commercials, and you know she sings with a band every once in a while, that sort of thing. But she's happy, yeah. And it's such a really nice moment, especially with an episode that does, I think, underneath it all, have a wonderful running theme about you know happiness in the arts and mm-hmm. success in the arts and what that means. And to and to wrap it up with the fact that it's like, look, these two people never become famous. You know, not, they're not going to make a million dollars. They're not necessarily going to work on you know uh, on Quantum Leap. But they're, but they're, yeah. Uh, yeah, but they're happy, yeah. and they're happy together, and they get married, and they have this, you know, this healthy, wonderful relationship, and and I and I really appreciated that as the uh, as the wrap up for my. I do, I do appreciate that. It was just a moment. It was just the fact that they get married in a week. And I was like, yeah. uh, <laughs> but you know, you know, like they do. Uh, do we uh, do we really get a moment in that last scene of of uh, of Neil and Ted kind of eating crow? Even yeah. in, we do, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because Neil's very proud of her, actually. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, episode. yeah. And I and 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 I think Liz even has something where she kind of says, you know, uh, um, 
she's really good or something like that. So everybody, you know, by by the end of it, everybody's on board. I mean, Ted, I, I you know, Ted is like over it. He's like, I'm going back to Cleveland or whatever. Yeah. Ted belongs in Cleveland. He, I'm he there's nothing wrong with Cleveland. There's not. I know some perfectly lovely people who 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 gave up and went to Cleveland. No, I kid. I kid. <laughs> I kid. I kid. Uh, Dana Norris, I love you. You never listen to the show. You're not going to hear this. Um, uh, but yeah, um, and then and then Sam leaps out. Yeah, and he's standing on a track. He's oh clearly, yeah, yeah. Uh, at some sort of military school. Yeah. Um, and uh, when he goes to get the baton passed to him, he, he doesn't know what's going on. Falls flat on his face, and uh, it is it is not good. Yeah. Oh uh, boy. Oh boy. Uh, running for honor. Yeah. Is the episode that we'll talk about next week, and. I think we're going to have hell of a lot to say about that episode. We're going to have, yeah, we, uh, yes, uh, if not next week, maybe we should take some time and get the get the, the right guest host on the show, maybe. I don't know. Because uh, that's, yeah, I want to uh, take some time to unpack that one. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that there's a lot to unpack in that episode. And, and the, the, the thing that will be interesting to me in talking about that episode is in addition to the content of the episode, to a lot of the circumstances surrounding the airing of the episode and, yeah. the, and the advertisers, uh, marketing of the episode, etc. Because uh, I, I think it's, it's a... Um, it is a, a example, an example of the moment uh, and helping to define the moment of, of when that episode aired um, and, and where we were in a sort of uh, socio-political, cultural, even economic um, place in, in society and how we were handling um, what subject matter uh, was contained within the episode. So I'm looking forward, I'm looking forward to talking about that. And I agree. I think it gives us the opportunity to maybe have a couple of guests on to, to help us with that discussion. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about, we, we, we teased our, our listeners such as it is. Uh, so tell me about a time you performed nude on stage. I have a couple stories. I'll, I'll keep them brief. Yeah. So, um, the, I, you know, I'm going to, I, I, on stage, um, it was. Oh, that's right. You, just, yeah, the, you uh, did the yeah. Quick, it was just a quick back shot, um, just just my butt as I was pulling pulling on a pair of uh, pants, um, because the the scene um, it was basically the morning after. Uh, well, actually, it, it was the night of, but it was later on. It was it was the moment after. Of yeah. And <laughs> what, what was the show? And so you know, I'm I'm kind of getting out. Uh, it was it was actually it was written. Um, it was like this. Um, this triptych uh, that was written by a theater professor uh, okay. online in college. Um, so this was this was a while back. But um, the the one that I, I think bears discussion even more is, is I, I shot a, a television. Uh, well, what was hoped to be a television pilot ended up being a, a brief, brief, brief web series. Um, and uh, in the in the first episode, my character uh, appears nude. Uh, fully nude, full frontal, the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. Um, and that 
experience was a little nerve-wracking for a couple of reasons. The main one being that in the first scene, um, you know, I was supposed to wear an apparatus, if you will, and uh, said apparatus was not working. So I said the hell with it and, and just, you know, tossed the apparatus and, 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 and just ran. Uh, and, and let's say, I say apparatus, it's literally basically just a sock. I mean, I mean, anyone oh, I got you. I got you. Uh, okay. You know, has, has, has heard any actors or anything, you know, talk about such things before. Yeah, it's, it really is basically just a sock. Um, but it wasn't working. And so, uh, we tossed that and I just, and I just, and I was supposed to be running through, um, not through, but, but, but cornfield surrounded by cornfields, like down an old country road. Uh, and we didn't. We had permission to do it, but we didn't have the roads blocked off. <laughs> so uh, yeah. it was nerve-wracking because at any moment I had to be prepared for someone to say car. And then, of course, duck because down. I was just in the middle of nowhere running, I would have to kind of, yeah, duck out of sight as opposed to somebody being there to, like, hand me a towel or a robe sure. or something like that. <laughs> um, so, so, which actually did happen a couple times mid-run, and so I had to kind of duck out of sight. Um the other thing is, is that at one point, uh, an actor who I'd worked with uh, before and, and since, and who, who's a good friend of mine, is now the artistic director of the theater in Indianapolis, uh, there's a point where I was jogging, and he pulls up next to me in his pickup truck, and we're having this conversation, and uh, it, was, it was just a little, it was, it, it, was, it was that moment where it's like, well, all right, here we go, you know, and in the, in, in, in the moment, you don't really think about it at all, it's just, you know, you've, you've already kind of given yourself over to the fact that you're doing it. Um, but looking back on it, it is, it is a little, it's, it's a weird thing to talk about. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so my, uh, just, just to one, I was in a 10 minute play festival when I still live in Louisville, Kentucky. And, uh, the, this one scene that I was in, it was just a couple breaking up. That was it. Mm-hmm. It was intentionally ambiguously written. It was a couple breaking up, uh, and you could like the playwright was very obviously influenced by Aaron Sorkin. It had that very kind of Aaron Sorkin-esque back and forth, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the director decided to make it a gay couple breaking up after sex and then stopping intermittently to have sex again. All right. The lights would go out and then they'd come back up, you know, a couple minutes later and then we're back to arguing. And so me and the, and the other guy, we started off naked in bed. And for the most part, we were mostly covered uh, – Except that towards the end, I got up and I gave like a full like one minute monologue, completely naked, in a black box studio, smaller th- smaller than the one that was depicted uh, in, in this episode of Quantum Leap. Yeah, it was at the very end of the night, so if people wanted to leave beforehand, they could. Some people did. They videotaped one performance, and the camera was supposed to have been shut off, and they kept mm. it going. So somewhere out there, there exists a copy of this. Yeah. 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 And it was, uh, yes. Um, and then the other one, are you familiar with Frankie and Johnny and the Claire de Lune? Yes. That play? Uh, I, I was in that play in 2010 here in Chicago. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, uh, basically it's uh, 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 Frankie and Johnny. They are a cook and a, and a waitress who work at a diner. In New York City, the play starts off there at the very end of, of wrapping up a very enthusiastic lovemaking session in uh, Frankie, who's a woman, in Frankie's uh, New York apartment. And she just thinks it's going to be a one-night stand. She's like, all right, 
I'll see you tomorrow at work. This is great. This was fun. Maybe we'll get together again. Who knows? And uh, Johnny, who was 45 and just kind of bitter and divorced and is over it, he decides, I'm tired of looking. You'll do. (laughs) And he refuses to leave Frankie's apartment until she agrees to, like, be with him in a relationship. Um, so the first part of the play, like we started off in bed, uh, I was completely naked. She was wearing like some flesh colored underwear. Um, and so ended up all that was seen to me, it was just like, I swung my legs over the side of the hideaway bed, pulled up the boxer shorts and pulled them up. And that was it. I wanted to be completely naked for the first 10 minutes. And I just wanted to be spread eagle on the bed. <laughs> I wanted because it, it, it was kind of a statement of just how comfortable Johnny was and how lacking in self awareness and how lacking lacking of awareness of what Frankie wanted him to do in that moment. If he just get up and leave, and just like him to just spread out naked on her hideaway bed, like yeah. to me, I thought that was like that was a statement of who Johnny was, and the director would not allow it. <laughs> uh, but my favorite part, um, uh, familiar with uh, Gold Star, if you've ever bought tickets off there. Yeah. So they, I don't know if they still do it or not, but they used to do a thing where um, if you were going to buy tickets for Gold Star, you could read other people's reviews of the show or whatever. And there was also a thing where you could leave tips for other people, like as far as parking. Like, where is there good, where is there good parking in the neighborhood? Uh, yeah. Dining. Where is there a good place to eat around there? Uh, and then there was clothing, which is supposed to be a tip-off to other people's, like, what should you wear to this show? What should you wear? Yeah, yeah. You know, is it casual? You know, should you dress up or whatever? But but someone took it as an opportunity to review me in that section. And oh, under clothing, God. she put, the man in that bed should have been wearing clothes and not naked. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's a critic. Everybody is. Well, you know... It- so uh, going back real quick, I, I should just because you set yours up so nicely, I should mention that the reason why I appear nude in this thing is that my character, um, the, the 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 web series was a was it was it was called Neon Cornfield, and it was about a man who um, during the recession was going to lose his farm, and he discovered through kind of some crazy circumstances that he could raise money to keep his farm by renting out his barn to an adult film director. And the adult film director had an idea and a vision to uh, use local actors in his adult film. That is amazing. He's looking. And so he brings like, he brings like, uh, you know, the, the crew in and this one like adult film star and she uh, uh, ends up developing, you know, kind of a bit of a relationship with the farmer. Um, and so the uh, my character is the sort of diamond in the rough that they found, the local kid who had certain assets, and uh, they decided they're going to make him uh, a star. And uh, my character got very, very into it and decided that he needed to be in really great shape and that in addition to being in great shape, it was important that he not have tan lines. So the best way for him to achieve this was to run naked through the cornfields every morning to get into better shape and get a good tan. That. So that was... And, the, and, and the, 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 one of the things about this uh, pilot I'll tell you is my character within the, the adult film was sort of... Was, was, was basically the, the porn version of Han Solo. Like, right down, I wore, like, this black vest, 
like with no shirt underneath of it. But I was basically dressed like Han Solo. I had a blaster, you know, like Han Solo. The only difference yeah, is, is my blaster. <laughs> yeah, I did. My blaster uh, actually had a uh, a dildo attached to it. And of course so it did. When I pulled the trigger, it caused the the dildo to move. Sure. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so so that was why my character was was thing. Yeah, and it, it, uh, here's something that I think will dovetail into the next part of our conversation. Nicely, sure. I uh, this is an example of kind of what I was talking about, where uh, they needed a scene. The the, the director slash writer had realized that they had not had a scene between my character and the actual adult film star. Uh, Within the movie, so in other words, we had we had a scene together, but we didn't have a scene like the in the actual adult film. So they wanted to shoot the two of us, you know, about ready to go into a sex scene, and so we were literally like kind of sitting in the hay together, mm. uh, and we had to kind of improv it. We didn't have a script. We didn't have you know any any other direction other than that this was going to be the preamble to this, to the scene. And, um, you know, when you do that, you just, you just wait for the director to yell cut. And so we start going and, you know, and she starts taking my vest off and, uh, you know, I've, I've got my, my hand on her neck or whatever and all this sort of stuff. And you get to that point where, uh, you know, it, it used to be said, and who knows if it's said anymore, but it used to be said that if you got so close to somebody on stage, you either, you know, you, you, it was it was a moment where you either had to hit him or kiss him. Yeah, um, <laughs> oh, and so, I haven't heard and that. So we, I haven't heard that in we a while. Were, yeah, we were so we were just we were so close to one another where it was like, and the director hadn't got cut, so we just we started, you know, kissing. Yeah, um, pretty 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 vigorously, and uh, and then you know we we start to lay back, and then finally he gets cut, and and that's the end of the scene. Um, again, like I said, though we'd had no rehearsal for that, we'd had no direction, we'd had no discussion. We just did it. Yeah. Um, there have been a couple of times on stage where, y- you know, uh, I can think of two moments in particular. One was within a scene where my character and another character had kissed, were in a romantic relationship, were, you know, were physically intimate with one another. And then, um, you know, just spontaneously, we kind of like added another kiss in or whatever. Um, and then I can think of a show that you directed me in actually, um, for a, uh, for a sort of a play festival, um, where we had not, there'd been no discussion about it. There'd been no direction to do it, but, but it, you know, at one point we're sitting there and we're supposed to be, you know, with our newborn child. And, and so I just, you know, leaned over and, and gave the actor I was working with a quick little, you know, kind of peck just to kind of like sort of. Sure, because because there had been there had been some some tension as to whether or not yeah. this 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 marriage would survive. If you yeah, um, so uh, this is this is way tangential from, sure. from all yeah. the other stuff that we've kind of talked about uh, having to do with the episode. But because it was something that was brought up earlier, uh, I guess yeah, it, it's a very different conversation. Now, now I mean, it's the, I would say like. Uh, it really started with the Me Too movement, and I should say that uh, in particularly in theater now, there is this movement now that whenever there is any kind of intimacy, that there is an intimacy, intimacy designer who is a part of the production, and it's and it's not just one time; it's like every rehearsal, 
every performance. Everybody is checking in with everybody to make sure that everybody is absolutely comfortable with everything physical that is going on. And that, uh, I, I, that really kind of started in Chicago with, uh, with the organization Not In Our House, um, which, which came about to address uh, one theater in Chicago, which is no longer uh, very much because of Not In Our House, uh, but because of like sexual abuses that happened during the course of that. Yeah, um, and, and, and I think I, I think just we can come right out and say it is profiles and the profiles theater. Yes, I yeah, yeah, is, yeah. And, and, and the reason why I think that it's 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 worth actually mentioning the name of the theater company is because if you do live in Chicago, if you know anything about Chicago theater, uh, if you're not just you know brand new to the scene, um, and even if you don't necessarily, you may actually be familiar with profiles because the theater was quite critically acclaimed. Um, oh yeah, you know a lot of a lot of awards you know were given to that theater. A lot of great you know critical reviews. Uh, a very well known playwright, you know Neil Butte, had 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 been like a lot of yeah. residents. Yeah, um, you know had had works premiere with them, um, and the the artistic director slash you know leading man uh, of the of the theater who who uh, had had starred if you will in a lot of the shows there um had gotten a lot of critical acclaim specifically and sure. it turned out that you know he was he was a dirtbag yeah um and uh and and so the theater is no more um it's it's you know it, it, i i feel as though there is a lot of nuance missing from the overall conversation um and i think it's part of it is because there's a lot of justifiable anger on one side of the conversation and a lot of justifiable and well-deserved fear on the other side of the conversation. But I do actually think that there is a middle ground worth exploring because I, I will always believe that the two people that know best what should be happening in those moments are the two actors that are actually in that moment. And that I say it with all due respect to any sort of intimacy choreographer or director mm-hmm. or designer or whatever the label we put on them. But I just know that I, as an actor would much rather put my trust in my scene partner. Sure. And hope that they would put their trust in me I to got be you. safe and to craft something than I would have to try to put it in anyone else's so, hands. That's a, that's a great point. Cause the thing is like, and, and I will say this, the last show that I was in was like a year and a half ago. And I had a lot of, um, uh, kissing and making out with, uh, with my co-star and the director kind of sat us down at the, at the beginning of the process. And he basically like, I'm going to let you two figure it out. And it worked. You know, we had moments where like there were some performances, like I would come in, I would throw in an extra kiss, some performances he would come in, he would throw in an extra kiss and it worked. I yeah. do think, but it did worry me when that, when the director first sat us down and gave us that note, because at that time I didn't know my co-star very well. And I didn't know how he was going to be. And sure. I, I, to, to me, like, 
I, I've never worked on a show with an intimacy designer, and maybe I should talk with one to see what, what they do. But like, I, I <laughs> like, like, I, I never uh, like like them like dictating what the action is, and you you know you kiss here, you don't kiss here, you touch here, you don't touch here. But like them being kind of like an advocate. So if like if you do get in a situation where your co-star is just being creepy, for for lack of a better term, is that you have a person to go to and say, "I'm not comfortable with this." Sure. Or, or even like as you're staging it, like you, you have someone to guide it. You say like, are you comfortable with this? Or are you not comfortable with this? Um, and I will say, because th- this conversation I was already got along, I've had situations in auditions where I was called on to do things I was not comfortable with. I was called on to kiss someone that I didn't know very well. I was called on to violently kiss someone. Because it was like the start of an assault or me coming on to a woman who didn't want it. Mm-hmm. And there are times like I wish there had been there had been more awareness of that at the time. Um, because I have I have done things in auditions that I was not comfortable with, but I felt like I needed yeah. to do them because these were the like this was the script, the, the particular part of the script that was given to me. So I was like, oh, well, I mean, if you gave me the script where I'm supposed to be coming on to someone, I assume you physically want to see that or else why would you give me that script? So it's a thing now, and I know like in auditions, uh, you know, this new movement, it it, it puts a lot more mindfulness and restrictions on auditions as well. Because if I were to walk into an audition now and and I saw that script in front of me, I would be very comfortable saying now, it's like, no, I'm sorry, I'm not comfortable with this. Whereas a few years right. ago, a few years ago, I didn't feel that. Um, yeah. and, and to give like the extreme example, like a, a, a few years ago, I went into audition and it was a it was a husband and wife arguing, and it escalates to the point of forgive my language. I, I just wanted like to, to 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 fully describe like how accurate this was. Is the husband he gets so angry and he's like. You whore, I'm going to rape you right now to show you who I am. Mm-hmm. And the script, like, actually goes through the start of that struggle. So, like, outside in the hall, like, me and the actress that I was preparing with, like, we actually choreographed something mm-hmm. that we both felt good with, we both felt safe with. And then we went in and did it. And we clearly freaked the director out. She was clearly disturbed by what she saw. And my scene partner, the woman, she had to go, no, 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 no. It's okay. We planned that. Mm-hmm. But even still, I did not get called back. And I've always wondered if I didn't called back because the director thought I had gone too far. Sure. Like I said. Well, you know, the other the other side of it, too, is that sometimes, like... I think that it, you know, it's it's it, it's a learning process, you know. That I, I I can't say that we have any hard and fast answers because there is absolutely a part of me that firmly believes that the the opportunity to to tell the truth and to tell a story as truthfully as possible, um, you know, in in the medium, whether it be film, television, or on stage. Um, is is the that's the honor 
that's the responsibility. That's the duty. Um, I, I I think that. I think where you get into the it's slippery. Okay, it's okay to make people uncomfortable sometimes. Yeah. No. 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 <sighs> yeah. I don't know. And to me, the slippery slope of that is I don't know if you know, like uh, the last few years, what what profile theater slogan was. What? Whatever the truth requires. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but see the thing is, but see, you know what? And here's the thing, and 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 and, and this is and this is what I, I I think it really does come down to is like common decency. Common sense sure. tells us that that guy sticking his hand up a girl's dress without letting her know that that was what was going to happen and placing his hands in certain places where it should not be without consent, that is sexual assault. Yeah. That has absolutely nothing to fucking do with the play, regardless yeah. of whatever he thought he was doing within context of a play. Sure. It's like, that's the type of thing that you better damn well have permission for. But I'm sorry, that's the reason why I think that there's nuance to the conversation that's missing. I don't know that I should always have to fucking ask permission to kiss somebody if it's the honest thing to do within the context of a scene. And again, I think that the nuance is, is that it, you, you have to have a level of trust. Yeah. I'm not saying that you could just do that in an audition, like you were saying. I agree with you. I think in the audition... There would absolutely, there would have to be some sort of agreement, mm-hmm. you know. The you 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 wouldn't necessarily just do it, but I think that in exploring things in rehearsal or something like that, it it I don't know. It just it just it feels it feels like it kind of goes against the 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 way that I like to work. It takes away a certain level of spontaneity. It 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 it, it enforces. It enforces rules on things that I feel like we didn't necessarily need rules on until people started to abuse sure. freedom and the, the, the sacred trust that should be happening in that context. Sure. I don't know. Yeah. The, yeah. I don't think there's an easy answer to it. Yeah. Because I mean, there's, I mean, like, like the, the, you know, there, there have been. Uh, I've done auditions where I'm supposed to come in and I'm supposed to kiss the woman, and like before we do, before we go into actually do the do the scene, like we'd be rehearsing together, like out in the hall or something, and I would ask, like, is it okay if I come in and kiss you at this point because that's what the script says, right? And you know, and she would say yes, but then after the fact, I'm like, was she really comfortable with it, or was she like me and she too thought that she had to kiss? Or else it would risk her not getting cast in the role. You know what, though? And that's where I have to say, that's a part of the job, man. Like, I'm uh, sorry. Yeah. Like, that's the job. Mm-hmm. Like, if you don't... Like, here's the thing. If, if, if that's not okay with you, then then fine. Don't, don't audition for shows that require that. Or don't audition for roles that require that. Like, that's on you, and that's your choice. But you have to have a realistic expectation, then, of what that brings. And it's going to limit you. Because people, because the, you know, people do want to see those types of roles. So I think that again, I do. I just I, there's a part of me that says that's the job, and there and there are absolute boundaries. I completely agree with that. You know, I have a friend of mine who was in a show um, on the north side here. Uh, I think actually in, in Evanston, where um, there was, um, I mean, they had to have a choreographer because they were choreographing like graphic sex scenes sure. on stage. Yeah. You know, and, and, and again, like, yes, I get that. 
I, I, I think that you know that requires a, a something more than just that level of trust that we're talking about. I understand that, but you know the yeah, I, I, I would just I, I agree that that pressure might not necessarily be fair. But at the same time, again, that's the job. That's what's in the script. That's what, you know what I mean? That's the story you're telling. And if you're not right for that story and you don't think that you, you know, that you're uncomfortable with that aspect of the story, then, then, then maybe that story's not for you to tell. Yeah. I, yeah. See, I'm of the mind of like, if you are going to have kissing in an audition and you really need to see it, have an intimacy designer there at the audition. Make that clear. Don't make your actors guess what they are supposed to do. If you want them to kiss because you need to see that for some reason, make it clear before they read. You know, I, you know, one could one could absolutely argue, and I would and I would not argue against this. That perhaps, yeah, an, an audition piece uh, aside for an audition is not the best place to include a kiss. Or any act of stage violence. Yes, yes, like that's that, a, that's that. exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Now I and, and I can get behind that, but I do also think though, if I'm the director, or if I'm the casting director, that if I look at an actor and I, who I've brought in to read for a role, and again, my side has no kissing or violence or anything like that, and they read for the role, but I know that the the role requires that, and I ask them, "Are you comfortable doing these things?" I would I I would think that I don't necessarily need to have to ask that question if you're in the room auditioning for the role to begin with. Uh, you know what I mean? Like if you're coming in and you're auditioning for Streetcar Named Desire, and you're auditioning for Stella, you better be all right with a certain level of physical sure intimacy slash violence. I you know? I I would say yes, but on the other hand. I, I I have heard of cases of where the actor gets in the show and all of a sudden they decide like no they're not comfortable with the, this and they're not comfortable with that and then and then they're kind of putting up a mind like do they do they adjust the show or do they replace the actor? You replace the actor. I mean, and, and, you know, then you get into like I'm sorry, man. If it's in the script, like seriously, if we're like if we're specifically talking about like. Streetcar, for instance, sure, and, and the actor playing Blanche or Stella comes to me and says, "Oh, I'm not comfortable with this or whatever." Then, then I'm sorry, yeah. I, then, then, then I'm afraid that we have to part ways. Yeah, because we're telling this story. I got you. This is I, a, I, I just yeah. I I, I just there, there, there's a certain level I think of like I. I try to be a, a, a very sensitive and compassionate person, but at the same time, I just have to say that, like, there are people that would do anything for the opportunity to to play these roles or to be in these shows. Mm-hmm. And to have someone say that they're not comfortable with something after they've earned this, I, I just, I don't have time for that. Yeah. I don't. I, yeah. I mean, I could think it's of... Not, it's, not, it's not what we do. Sure. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. It's yeah. It's complicated. It's, it's one thing it's one thing if the show doesn't have anything like that. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Like it's one thing if we're talking about the miracle worker and all of a sudden somebody wants to you know add in a, a scene where Amy Sullivan yeah. you know takes off her clothes and runs around the 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 the, the well or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. You know, yeah, if the actor comes up and says, "No, that doesn't seem right that Annie Sullivan should be nude in this scene." 
I get that. Sure. I'm totally all for that. But if you're doing fucking O Calcutta and you come to me the first day of rehearsals and say, you know, I'm not really comfortable taking my clothes off, I'm going to be like, what the fuck did you audition for the show for then? Sure. I, I got you. Anyway, this is a Quantum Leap podcast. Thank you for <laughs> go, going off on our little theater diversion here. Anyway, it's, uh, like, I said, yeah, it's, it, like I said, it's been a year and a half since I'd done a show, and there was a lot of intimacy in that show. But the thing is, it's like if I had been creeped out by my, by my co-star, if he had been creeped out by me, like I don't know how it would have worked when the director was like, figure it out on your own. Yeah, I mean... I just don't, I just, I, I guess I've been very, 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 very lucky because I've never been in a situation where I didn't feel comfortable and trusting of the people that I was with and confident that they felt the same way about me. Sure. I mean, yeah, I, I get the, yeah, I have, yes. Um, yeah, I've been lucky. Like I've been in shows where, where with people I've been creeped out with them on a personal level, but I didn't have to be intimate with them on stage either. Well, okay, yes. Now that, that that is that I have been in that situation as well. Yeah, and it's like, well, I mean, you know, if I, you know, if I was making out with this person instead of this person, and yeah, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, it's a complicated, complicated. Uh, it's a complicated subject. Yes, it is. But you know what's not complicated, Dennis? Quantum my leap. feelings about this episode. Yeah, <laughs> because my feelings about this episode are it's a perfectly fine episode. It's a, of quantum it's a great. You know, this would be a nice. This would be an episode, like, if I wanted to, like, give someone just, like, a, a typical, not a special, not a mythology episode. Here's just a nice episode of Quantum Leap that kind of confronts ages, ageism, but not in a beat you the head, not beat you over the head with it kind of way. This is a good episode. Yeah, you know, the other thing that I think that the episode is that we didn't really touch on very much is that it's, it's a wonderful uh, examination of kind of kind of going off what you just said about ageism of, you know, you're never too old Mm -hmm. to go after something if you want it, that you may lose someone or something or or your home or whatever the case may be, but that, that, that there's, you know, there's always a chance out there for something more, um, you know, whether it be the relationship or, or the, the singing career, whatever the case, I think Jane as a character is, is a wonderful examination of that. Uh, but you know, ultimately I do kind of feel like the stakes are, the stakes are sort of low, you know, mm-hmm. um, the, the, you know, nobody's, nobody's going to lose their life. Somebody might go back to Cleveland. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, yeah, I, 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 it's not a bad episode at all. And it sounds like I'm mm. damning it with faint praise there, but I'm really not. I mean, it is a good episode. It's perfectly fine. It is a, you know, it, but it's, it's, it's unremarkable. Gotcha. On a scale of the Americanization of Machiko to, to the Leap Home Part 1. It's a solid that plays the thing. <laughs> <laughs> you just created your own scale there. Didn't I did. Yeah. Um, I don't yeah, know. You know the thing is, is like I would, I would, I would, I, I would give this, I would give this uh, a solid three of Al's cigars out of five. There we go. 
We just found our three quarters of the way through the podcast. We figured our our, our new measuring system. Three yeah. th- three cigars out of five. I'm going to look for a cigar emoji. Maybe now. even three and a quarter. Maybe, Maybe even three. three there we go. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, should we should we wrap this one up? Oh, we probably should. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. If you I'm if gonna, you got I'm this far, if you go to sleep tonight and question all the things that I said. No. no hey. 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 It's 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 all good. Uh, it, yeah. If you if you've made it this far through the episode, thank you so much for for going on our little theater tangent here. Uh, if you have yeah, thoughts, if, if you're of the theater world in Chicago or anywhere, and you have thoughts on that, uh, feel free feel free to share them. Please do, and uh, you know, continue sharing your. We didn't get around to actually talking about. Uh, we did have a few comments here and there, um, you know, about Quantum Leap in general. We wanted to to kind of continue our sort of our 30th anniversary celebration, but we didn't really touch on it this episode. But next uh, next time around, uh, we'll, we'll maybe throw a couple things yeah there is one uh i'll tell you this off mic but it uh somebody threw out a really good thing on another quantum leap group and i want to save it for the next one because we're an hour and 35 minutes in in case anyone has faded off i want to save this for the i want to save this for the beginning of the next episode because i it's fan wank that i really really liked awesome and i want to and i want to highlight it next time if you're still listening loyal listener you have something to look forward to now yeah. because it's it's good. we're going to put it at the top of the next episode. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, let's leap out of here. Thank you all so very much, and uh, we'll come at you next week with uh, running for honor. All right. See you next week. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed what you've heard or have any questions or comments, don't be shy. Reach out to us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Fates Wide Wheel. And remember to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you may be listening. Until next time. I want to stay